Good morning. We're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the internal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous, unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for these, for these parables that your son came and told. We thank you uh, for how simple they are, but how incredibly uh, rich uh, they are with wisdom and knowledge. And, and I pray this morning that we could glean every ounce of wisdom out of this uh, parable and out of these words um, that Jesus has given us today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, please have a seat. Good to see everybody. Thanks for showing up today. It's a beautiful day again. Uh, we're in Luke uh, again. Uh, we've been in Luke for a while. The last couple of weeks, we were in Luke 15. We talked about prodigal, the prodigal son story. Incredible story. Exciting story. It, honestly, that story changed my life. I'm, I'm not even, I'm not joking. Not blowing smoke. That book, Prodigal God, uh, did amazing things uh, in my life, in this, in this, which is based on the parable. Um, but this week, I was looking at the prodigal son story and looking at it from a financial perspective. So if you remember, if you've been here, or if you've heard about the prodigal son story, there's three characters. There's the younger brother, the father, and then the older brother. And the younger brother, he, if you remember, gets his inheritance early. He takes off to the city or to a town or something, and he spends all of his inheritance, foolishly, but he spends it all. And then he puts his tail between his legs, and he walks back to his father, hoping his father would take him back just to to work for him. And the father sees him way far off and, and is so excited to see him, so excited that his son comes back, hikes up his skirt, I guess, and runs after him, embraces him, gives him a big hug. And what does the father do? The father spends money and throws him a huge 
party. They kill the fattened calf. They celebrate. His son is back. And the third character, the elder brother, what's this guy doing? Kind of a stiff dude. He's sitting in the field or, or working in the field. He's been really, really faithful. Doesn't spend much money. Didn't even have a goat for his friend's party. He's a penny pincher. He's a saver. And what happens to the son? I mean, what happens to the elder brother? He's left out in the cold. He can't even enjoy the party that his dad is throwing for his younger brother because he's too ticked off, it appears in the story, because his younger brother spent some of his inheritance. The elder brother loves money. He's a saver. He's stingy. And the younger brother is a spender. The father is a spender. So that theme, spending and saving, is going to get carried forward into Luke 16. But let me set it up before we, before we dig into it. If I asked you how you become rich, what would you say? Is it saving money that makes you rich or is it spending money that makes you rich? It might depend on your circumstances. It might depend on how you were raised. Uh, somebody you know, who grew up in the Great Depression lived through like economic hell, they're, they're savers, okay? Those, those people know how to save money. They, they know that, or, or they think spending makes you poor. I need to save every penny. I had some clients a couple years ago. I'm a financial advisor, by the way. I'm also an elder. My name is Tim Porter. Nice to meet all of you. <laughs> all at once, like shotgun. Um, I had some clients a couple years ago. One of my first clients, they were pretty wealthy, and uh, they grew up in the Great Depression. And I went to their house to meet with them one day about, about finances, and their house was sweltering, like so hot, like in the 80s, like 85 degrees or something crazy. So I'm talking to them, and I say, hey, why don't you guys consider putting in central air? Don't you think that might be a good use of your money? It's stinking hot in here. And they say, no, we can't afford it. We couldn't. We couldn't possibly. That, we don't need it. It's not necessary. We'll be fine. And so I had to tell them, like, you have, I think they had $4 million in the bank that I helped them manage. Like, you can afford central air. It's like 5000 bucks or something to get central air. It's worth it. You're not being foolish. And they wouldn't take my recommendation. I could not get them to put central air in the house. I think they bought a fan. Like, to appease me, like, this will be good. I'll, you know, this is fine. This is fine. We don't need, need central air. Those, those folks were savers, and they would answer that question, how do you become rich? How do you amass wealth? Well, you save money. Spending makes you poor. But if you ask a business owner, okay, ask a business owner, how do you grow your business? How do you grow your income? How do you become wealthy? They might repeat to you the old cliche, you got to spend money to make money. Like, it's a terrible cliche, but it's true. That was my used car salesman voice, I think, too. Not all business owners sound like that, I hope. So it's true because if, if a business owner looks into the future and says, I want to grow my business, I want to serve more clients, I want to manufacture more products, whatever the business is, 
They, they set some goals and they set some objectives. Then they think, what can I spend and invest my money on today to help me grow that business? And they're thinking, I, I want to serve more clients. I'm going to need more help. I need employees. So they will spend and invest their money maybe on employees or maybe on a piece of equipment or maybe on some software, whatever. They know that they've got to spend money today to help grow their business in the future. It's called being shrewd. Okay, and Jesus wants us to be shrewd, we find out in Luke 16. He wants us, believe it or not, to learn from people out of those doors, people maybe that aren't Christians. Can you believe that? Wild. He wants us to learn from the most creative, the most innovative, the shrewdest individuals out there. When I think of the shrewdest individual, I think of somebody that comes to mind is Elon Musk. You guys might not know who Elon Musk is. He's the founder of Tesla, the electric car company. He is incredibly shrewd. Okay, 20 years ago, he set out to make an electric car and to take over the automobile industry like crazy stuff. He's going to take on GM and Ford and Toyota. This is wild. And he spent money for 18 years. That company lost money. He kept investing and kept investing until finally he made a profit. I think maybe just last year. So he accomplished his goals and objectives. And now he's like, what, he's doing SpaceX? He's like the leading space company. He's the founder of that. I mean, the guy is nuts. Jesus wants us to take a page out of Elon Musk's book. Not necessarily on how Elon Musk lives his life. I don't think he professes to be a Christian, but in how we spend our money. No joke. Elon Musk. Jesus wants us to know if we save money, if we're stingy with money, if we hoard money for ourselves, if we're selfish with money, we will become poor. Sorry, savers. But if we spend money, if we invest money, if we're generous with our money, if we're shrewd, we will become or we will be entrusted with true riches. Save money and become poor, spend money and become rich. That's the essence of what we're talking about today. So we're going to dig into Luke 16, okay? I'm not going to reread it for you. Sarah already read that for us. But there was a lot there. Let me just paraphrase the, the story. And then we'll start in verse 9 and read that. So it's the parable of the dishonest manager. You've got the dishonest manager and you've got the master. Manager is handling the business dealings of the master. The master finds out, though, that the guy... I assume it's a guy. Uh, he's screwing things up. It must be a guy. Uh, finds out that he's dishonest. He's wasting the master's possessions. Okay, so the master comes in and says, manager, you're screwing things up. You're fired. I want you out of here. Okay, finish what you're working on and be done. Be gone. So the manager's like, dang it. I don't have another job. I don't have anything else I can do. I'm too weak to dig and I'm too ashamed to beg. What am I going to do? I'm hosed. So he says, I got an idea. I'm going to go to my master's debtors, the ones that owe my master's money, and I'm going to reduce their bill. 
okay? And, and maybe they'll have good feelings towards me and they'll help me out in the future. He looks into the future and says, I'm gonna be without work. I'm gonna do something today with the limited resources that I have, with the time that I have, and I'm gonna do something today to benefit me in the future. Okay, so he, takes, he brings the people in and says, hey, how much do you owe my master? And he's like, I owe him like 100 buckets of oil or whatever. He's like, okay, take the bill, write 50, 50% off. Pretty sweet, right? And the guy's like, you're kidding me, that's awesome. Like, this is great. Okay, go ahead, do it, and hey, just so you know, like, if I call you at some point, would you mind, you know, hooking me up maybe with uh, some work or a drink from your well or, you know, crash on your couch or something like that? And the guy's like, yeah, for sure. So he goes to another guy. Hey, how much do you owe my master? I owe him 100 buckets of wheat. Okay, take that bill, slash that 20% off. I'm going to give you 20% off. Is that cool? And the guy's like, yeah, that's great. Okay, well... Hey, just so you know, um, if I need something, uh, a fish sandwich or uh, a little bit of work in the future, do you mind, you know, if I call you, if you'd, you'd get that to me? Like, this is, I, 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 this is not in scripture. I'm taking some liberties here, but I imagine this is how it went, right? So what do we learn about this? The master finds out that the manager is deducting people's bills, reducing their bills, and he comes to them and he says... I found out what you're doing, and it's really clever. Wow, very shrewd. That's really interesting. Great job. You're still fired, but that was really shrewd of you. So I was kind of confused by this. Like, didn't he just cost his master more money? Wouldn't he be upset? But it turns out there's, there's some debate over what was going on there, but it turns out that the manager might have been deducting his commission. Anything he sold above a certain price would have been his for the taking, so he was reducing his commission, something like this, so that the master wasn't too upset with him. So let's read. Let's pick it up in verse, in verse 8, and let's walk through this. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. This is crazy to me. Like, I, when I read this, I don't know when, 10 years ago or something, I was like, seriously? We're gonna learn from, from people of this generation, from non-believers? I, I, I kind of love it. Like, they're doing incredible work. Elon Musk is doing incredible work. He is incredibly shrewd. We don't have all the answers in the church. There are things that we can learn uh, out there, in specifically dealing with our money. Let's keep reading verse nine. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, that's key, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. When money fails, when it fails. So money can do a lot of great things, right? Money can help us pay our bills, keep a roof over our head, provide food on the table, all these, all these wonderful things. But if money is too important to you, if money is too, to the degree that money is too important to you, I, I think money, it's not an if we struggle with it, but how much do we struggle with it? We all use it, we all have to have it, and it pulls on our heartstrings too much, almost universally, I think. So we can all, we can all benefit from this. If, or I just did it again, to the degree that money is too important to you and you're looking at money to satisfy you, 
to fulfill you, to, to bring you peace and security, it will disappoint you. I hate to tell you that. And more than disappoint you, it will fail the enjoyments, the comforts that you have from money or that money can provide will fail. Your heart, your flesh will fail. And everything we invest our money in on earth will fail at some point. Except one thing. The money that we invest to see an eternal return in the future will not fail. There is one thing we can spend our money on that will give us a return into eternity. I'll just keep the investing lingo going. That will pay dividends in eternity. That will diversify, you know, whatever. That's over the top. One thing, if we spend our money meeting needs of people, being hospitable to people, making friends of people, getting to know them, getting to know their, their successes, their failures, getting to share with them how much we love Jesus and how, how great the gospel is so that they might come to receive the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and have their shame and their guilt reduced and their joy increased and then they end up in heaven like this it's going to be crazy. When we get to heaven, it says, they will greet us and say, Bob, what's up? You helped me. And I got to, I got to see the gospel for what it was. And look at us. We're going to party. It's going to be awesome. Eternal returns are so much better than earthly returns. I talked about Elon Musk. Tesla is like the greatest stock, I gotta tell you. You guys probably don't care. But Tesla has been awesome the last couple of years, like thousands of percent. An eternal return that never ends. Someone is, is, is saved for, for billions of years versus Tesla's stock. Like, it pales in comparison. In, in looking through this chapter, I'm thinking about my job and what I do. I'm kind of embarrassed. I suggest earthly investments for a living. I mean, what a joke. It's, it's, it's important. It's not, a, it's not a joke. But it just pales in comparison to what we could invest our money in. This is the benefits of being shrewd, spending our money, investing it, being generous, so that people would come to faith and know and love Jesus. Like, there's nothing that compares to that on earth. Let me give you an example of this. I talked to my grandma the other day. My grandma's like a 75-year missionary. And um, she just went to the Dominican Republic again. She's 97. I, get, I mean, is, is that what people are doing at 97, like traveling the world? Uh, she just got back from the Dominican Republic. She just doesn't know when to quit, I guess. And she was showing me a video of their first convert in the Dominican Republic. Uh, she got to see this guy that they had, um, you know, ministered to back in like 1946. That guy became a Christian because of the work my grandma and grandpa were doing. And then he led a boy to Christ several years later. That boy grew up and started a church, a Baptist church down there in um, Santo Domingo. 
That church has been going for like decades, like 30 plus years. It has thousands of people that have come to know Jesus. There's at least a thousand people that are going to the church. That church supported my grandma and grandpa, and they planted like 400 churches in the Dominican Republic in the last 75 years. Like, how shrewd is my grandma? She's like the Elon Musk of missionaries. She's incredible. But more than that, First Baptist over here was like the only church in town back in 1946. They supported my grandma and grandpa. They get to be a part of that incredible work of, I don't know if it's thousands or maybe 10,000s of people that are now gonna be in heaven because of the work that they did. What a shrewd investment that was. It couldn't have been more than a couple bucks in 1946, whatever, whatever they invested in. Oh my gosh, they get to participate in that. Good for First Baptist for recognizing and being shrewd and recognizing the, the benefit that that could bring. That's incredible. This is the benefit of being shrewd with our money. Nothing compares. Everything pales in comparison. Let's move on. We gotta keep, we gotta keep cruising. Okay, the next few verses, I gotta tell you, if you're feeling sheepish a little bit, if you're feeling a little shame and a little guilt, because maybe you haven't been generous, maybe you think you should be more generous. Couple things real quick before I read these next verses. Number one, welcome to the club. We can all be more generous. We're all in this together, like almost universally. We could all be giving more money, so you're not alone. The second thing is the shame and the guilt you feel over not being generous or being stingy with your money. We have a solution to that, okay? going to be a couple minutes till we get to that solution, but like we have a solution for shame and guilt. Don't ignore what we're talking about. Don't ignore. These are red letters. This is Jesus talking here. Don't ignore what Jesus is saying. Don't tune this out. You got to You got to listen. These verses are kind of harsh, you know, in the news when they're like, caution, this video may be disturbing. Like this, these verses may be disturbing, especially if you're already feeling guilty. Like this is going to be a little bit of an uppercut maybe. But just tune in, don't tune out. If you've already tuned out, tune back in and we'll get to the solution. We will get to the, I'll, okay, I'll give you a hint. It's gonna be the gospel, okay? The gospel's gonna take care of the, the shame and the guilt for you and it's gonna be amazing. It always is amazing. We love the gospel. Okay, preface that. Verse 10, the one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much and the one who is dishonest in a very little, is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Let's stop there. Okay, this second point, I forget what the first one was. It was... Uh, being shrewd is better than investing in Tesla, I think was my first point, just so you know. Second one is being shrewd, you should be shrewd with your money because your money is not your money. <laughs> I know you think it's your money, you worked hard for that money, but unfortunately, it's not yours. It's a gift from God. You know what I love about Outward? We have like hardworking, awesome people that come to church here. We've got teachers that are like fighting the good fight. I love what they're doing, that, that, are, that are 
doing what they can to make a difference in these kids' lives, and they are crushing it. They are doing an awesome job. We've got people who are uh, delivering packages, right, and working crazy hours during the holidays. I love that. Thank you so much for delivering those packages to my doorstep. That's amazing. I hate shopping, and I hate being in stores. What a, I mean, like, they're doing awesome. We have business owners that are, that are doing an incredible job, that are, that are trying to serve their customers and, and, and doing well. But you know what the problem is when you, um, when you do well, when you climb the ladder, when business does increase? You start to take credit for that a little bit. You're like, man, I've been at this a while now. I, I kind of know what I'm doing. Check me out. Like, I set out a goal, and I'm accomplishing that goal. I'm, you know, I mean, maybe you wouldn't articulate this, but you're kind of like, I'm kind of awesome. I'm doing great work. The only thing you're missing, though, is the circumstances which led you to make that paycheck or grow that business. They're so far out of your control. You think about your health, the ability to even get up and go to work. Did you choose to be healthy? I mean, obviously you could become unhealthy, but did you choose not to get cancer? I've got a buddy that lives down the street who's my same age, my same name, his name's Tim, uh, and he's like been in a wheelchair for 10 years. He's, he had such promise. He had, he had so much, such a bright future ahead of him, and he got this rare disease called transgeminal neuralgia. Now he's basically like an invalid. His mom has to take care of him. Did you choose to not be like that? What about your mind? Did you choose the mind that you have to be able to figure things out and to be able to, to be clever and, and to work hard to figure out how to climb the ladder? How about where you live? Do you know how many hardworking people, like incredibly hardworking people there are that are working probably way harder than any of us are working? But no matter how hard they work, no matter, no matter what kind of work ethic they have, they cannot provide for their family. They cannot provide for themselves because unfortunately they were born this way like several thousand miles in Guatemala or Honduras or wherever the migrants are coming from. It's so bad that they have to gather the few things that they have. They are trekking thousands of miles to the land of opportunity just to come to get to our border to give their kid to some random stranger and the kid drop and the stranger drops their children over the border wall so that they might have an opportunity to succeed. How bad must Guatemala be? I like I don't think we have any idea how fortunate we are to have been born in this country. It's insane. Did you choose that? <laughs> Obviously, we didn't. Our income, our opportunities, man, they are a gift from God. If you're not a Christian, you don't believe that, like, okay. But you should look into that, like, the way that we acknowledge that our income is a blessing and is a gift from God is by giving some of it back to him. That is how we acknowledge that our income is not our own, it's God's. This is, this is how God has designed it, okay? That's how we say thank you. That's how we acknowledge uh, 
that our income is not his, that our income is not ours, excuse me. It's, if you're not doing it, it's at minimum, it's, I think, unfaithful, it says. I think Jesus said it may even be dishonest, but it's even more than that. It may be robbing God of what's his. Like, I know this is harsh, but we got to read it. Malachi 3, uh, verse 8, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Oh my gosh, it's worse than I thought. Listen, your money is not yours. You, you, gotta, you gotta recognize that. And you've gotta consider being shrewd with your money as a way to say thank you to God. Point number three now. Being stingy makes you poor. It says if we're not been faithful with our wealth, we will not be entrusted with true riches. What are the true riches? Okay, is that financial? Is that financial riches? Is this an investment? Is it promise that I'll get rich if I give? You're gonna be hard pressed to prove that, I think, in, in scripture. It might, I mean, you might get rich. I don't know. It's possible. But the true riches are the gifts of God. It's, it's once you understand what Jesus did on the cross, the joy that comes from that. I mean, rich in joy, rich in peace, rich in love, rich in contentment, rich in wisdom, rich in knowledge. These are the true riches that we're promised if we are faithful with our wealth. If we are shrewd with our wealth and we spend, invest, and are generous. And maybe financially rich. I don't know. If you are a joyful, grateful, uh, loving person who's humble, like, are you more likely or less likely to be hired for the job that you want? Are you more likely or less likely to get more business? I don't think it's going to hurt, but it's certainly not a guarantee that if you're faithful with your wealth, you will become uh, wealthy. But I will read the rest of that Malachi verse, Malachi 3.10. It, this does kind of sound financial. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. Try me, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That kind of sounds financial, doesn't it? I mean, I, I don't exactly know, to be honest with you, but um, true riches are certainly more than, than wealth. There's something more valuable that we get as we're faithful to God, a deeper understanding of the joy, a deeper feeling of gratitude, a deeper, more um, fulfilling faith. Let's head back to Luke we need to go to verse 13 now. We're gonna finish off with the fourth reason to be shrewd with your money is to serve God, not money. Verse 13, 
No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You're going to serve something. Like, we all serve something. We all worship something. Either it's God, or it's going to be money, or it's going to be power, or it's going to be success, or it's going to be approval, or it's going to be sex, or it's going to be, you know, whatever. There's, there's a list of them. Serving money is exhausting. It's brutal. I know because I, I'm there a lot of the time. I, I hate it, man. But I can recognize sometimes when money is too important to me. It's never enough. Have you ever had this thought? I don't know if any of you, I, I'm 40, so I've got a little bit of time under my belt now, uh, I used to think when we were first married, Holly and I, that, um, gosh, if I just made a certain amount of money, man, then I would be set. <sighs> I could take a deep breath and life would be handled. I probably shouldn't use figures, but I will. It doesn't matter. I was thinking if I could just make 5,000 bucks a month, if I could just get 5,000 bucks a month, I would be set. If you've ever had this thought, then you know what happens when you make 5,000 a month. You're like, who can live on 5,000 bucks a month? This is not nearly enough. I have, how do you get ahead? How do you pay for your, all your bills, the school loan debt, the mortgage and all this stuff? And it just goes to the next bar and to the next bar. Some of you were like, five grand a month. Yeah, that sounds great. Some of you are like, no, breach it, brother. I know it. It's never enough. Serving money is exhausting. Serving God is not. Serving God is incredible. He doesn't ask us of anything except for to, to believe, to believe on the cross. And that's it. Do you want to know if you have uh, too much of a love of money? I forgot to mention 1 Timothy 6.10 says, this is another warning against money. There's a ton of them in the Bible. You need to know that. Money is kind of a scary thing at times. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's, it's dangerous. John Piper says it's like handling money. We all have to handle it. We all need it for for uh, paying bills and all this stuff, but it's like handling fire. If you don't understand the dangers of money, it can torch your life. You need to be careful. So you need to know, and you need to take kind of like a sober view here of uh, do I love money, or how, to what degree do I love money? To what degree am I serving money? Here's a couple indications if this is, if this is the problem for you. Are you spending more than you make? You make an income? But you can't keep the budget in line with that income, so you're, that results in borrowing, right? If you spend more than you make, you have to borrow money. Is your debt increasing over time? Some of you are just riddled with guilt right now. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm going to get to the gospel in just a second. Is your debt increasing over time? You need to know that. You need to pay attention to that. Are you overworking? Do you work like Elon Musk hours? I think I saw him quoted saying, if you're not working 80 hours a week, you're not trying. 80 hours a week is a lot. I don't know that it's necessarily sinful, 
I mean, certainly accountants during tax season are working a ton of hours. Farmers during harvest are working a ton of hours. But that's probably, on average, that's probably about double what you should be working. Are you overworking? Are you willing to give up your family, your, your marriage, your, uh, your health maybe, to get ahead, to earn more income, to grow your business, whatever the, the case may be? Are you willing to fudge the numbers, maybe cheat a little bit, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe charge unsuspecting clients a little bit more? They won't know. Are you willing to let that go? You're overworking. Work is too important to you. I love work. I got to tell you this. I love work so much. It's so great. And I love work too much. This is something that it maybe is an indication that I love money too much, that I serve the God of money. And the last thing, indication of if you serve money, are you stingy? Are you saving it? Are you hoarding the money? Are you, are you keeping it all for yourself? Do you have a hard time giving it away? Now let's get to the solution. Do you want to know how to serve God and not money? Do you want to know what the solution is to this? We've got to, again, we've got to take what we know to be true, that we are sinful, that we have a tendency to, to, to get wrapped up in money, to, to, for it to be too important. You've got to think about that. You've kind of got to sit in it for a minute. I'm not saying you've got to live there, but you at least got to acknowledge that before God you acknowledge the shame and the guilt that that feels, how ridiculous it is after God has been so generous to us that we would try to hoard that for ourselves. Acknowledge that before God and then think about the shrewdest one to ever walk the earth. Think about the one, though he was rich, yet for your sake and for my sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. There we go. Just in time. He was rich, sitting at the right hand of God. Like, what of you? Like, must have been awesome up there. And he's like, dang, these people are miserable. Like, they can't figure it out. I want to look into the future and I want to glorify God and I want to provide a way for them. So he leaves his place of comfort. He comes to the earth. He, he wanders around uh, as a poor carpenter and ends up showing us, telling us specifically in this passage how we should live, how we should handle our money, how we should be shrewd with our finances, uh, spending, investing, being generous with it. And then he knows, he, he knows that we can't do it. He knows we're going to fail. So then he provides a way for our debts and our sins to be paid. He goes to the cross. He dies a horrific death. Our debts get nailed to the cross if you believe in Jesus. And his blood as it runs down the tree will cover those debts. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose it. That is so incredible. The gospel is so incredible. And when that happens, when you understand that, when you feel like the shame and the sin start to decrease, the uh, joy increases. They are inversely uh, proportionate, meaning 
you can't help but be more joyful when you have less shame and less guilt in your life. It's just impossible. You have to be more joyful. So as joy, once you realize that your debts have been paid, as the joy increases, like that leads to to gratitude. And as that gratitude bubbles up inside of you, that leads to generosity, being shrewd with our money, wanting to help other people understand what the grace of the gospel, how great it is. This is the way it was designed, cheerfully, willingly, gladly, not begrudging, not giving out of guilt. Like nobody wants, like our doesn't want your guilt offering. We don't want your, we don't want your begrudging gifts. You gotta get right with God first, man. You gotta get back to the beginning, think of your sin, think of the cross, find that gratitude, pray that God would show that gratitude to you, that he would, that he would, motivate you like to be generous to be giving willingly and cheerfully then Howard would take your gifts (laughs) sorry that was like an evil cackle I thought that was funny that's the way it was designed a couple of practical things before we before we close up um you got to keep score. Did I say that about debt? You need to keep score of your debt. You need to keep score of your giving. You need to keep score where you're being generous. Okay, you need to add up. What are you giving? Are you giving, number one? And how much are you giving? Are you giving to the local church? The local church is what was designed in the New Testament to share and spread the gospel, okay? This, if the church fails, we're hosed, like, You must give to the local church. It begins with the local church, but it doesn't end there. There's more. Wait, there's more places to give. There's other ministries that are doing incredible work, that are doing like Elon Musk shrewd stuff, like Hope Pregnancy Center, counseling ministries, like Young Life, other youth stuff, like not necessarily churches, but things that came out of the church. You know what I mean? Find those things. Give to them. You need to total up what you're giving to these things. Find how much are you giving to friends, to family, that people, are, people that are in need, who have trouble paying their bills, that just need a hand, that need a car repair, whatever. Add that to that total. What are you, are you putting money aside to be hospitable? You should. We should be hospitable. We should be killing the fatted calf and putting it on the Traeger and having a barbecue and inviting people over so you can get to know them so that they might know who Jesus Christ is and know how great it is to, to, to know him, like really know him. Add that stuff up and then you need to compare it with your uh, income. If you're like a W-2 employee, you need to look at your pay stub and you need to keep score. Some of you are thinking like, is he gonna mention the 10%? Is it 10%? Is it still 10%? Like that was Old Testament, right? It's not, that's not New Testament. We're, Old Testament, the, the law is dead. We don't have to do 10% anymore. There's no magic in 10%. I just want to level with you. You're not out if you give 9% of your income. You're not in if you give 11. Okay? There's, there's, no, there's no magic in that percentage. The goal is to live an increasing life of generosity over time in line with the increasing gratitude that we have for the cross. Both of those should be going this way, okay? 
We should be back to the cross every week, every day, and reminding ourselves how great the cross is, and let that bubble up into more and more generosity, and you should be keeping score. Like, look at your pay stub. Look at line 11 on your tax return. I'm a little embarrassed to know this. That your adjusted gross income. Compare them and pray and ask God to give you the courage. I know it's scary to give money away. You need that money. If you can trust God with your life, though, you probably could trust him with your wallet, don't you think? I mean, he says such wonderful things if you do give, and there's some not-so-wonderful things if you don't. Increase the level of generosity over time. The local church, other ministries, meeting needs for people, and being hospitable. Two more really quick things. Uh Uh-oh, the number just turned red. I'm done. Um, When you give... Uh, this, is, this is something, uh, I'm not the hero here, but this is personal, and I didn't get paid by the church or anything, um, so I feel like I can, I can talk a little bit more freely. When you give, don't just give and ignore it and be like, whatever, here's a random check, here's a random check. Take that check, whether it's the first of the month or when you make a commission or when business, you know, when you pull money out of the business, whatever that is, take that check before you give. Think about what you could spend that money on. Is it a dinner out? Is it like... Hey, this would be a, a great time for my wife and I, or, or, or just me, at in and out whatever. Like, doesn't even matter. Think about what you could spend the money on. Is it a car payment? Are you driving a clunker and you could afford a new car if you stopped giving? Is it a trip to Hawaii for the family? Like, it doesn't matter what level of, of gift it is. Think what you could spend that money on that you could satisfy your own um, desires with. And then... Dude, give greed a punch in the face and say, I'm not going to spend it on that. I'm not going to love money, at least with these dollars. I'm going to give it to Jesus instead. I'm going to be generous with this money. I'm going to be shrewd with my money so that somebody else can experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Do that. Don't just do it like, I mean, auto-tithe is great, but you need to like maybe look at the email that it sends you, whatever it is. You need to think through what could you spend that money on? Give it to Jesus instead. You won't regret it. Ah, You're missing out if you're not giving. I love the gospel, okay? I love the gospel. It has wrecked me. Like everything has changed because of the gospel for my life. And I give because I love the gospel. But something weird has happened. I give because I love the gospel, but I love the gospel because I give, I think. Does that make sense? Is that confusing to anybody? Like, I give because I love the gospel, but like it returns something to me. Like, my, my faith gets deeper, more fulfilling. Like, the, these are the true riches. Like, I love it even more after I'm generous. You're missing out if you're not being generous. You need to consider being shrewd with your money. Let's end there. Can I get the uh, guys to come up front? We're going to go to the Lord's table now. Let me end in prayer, actually, while they're, while they're coming up. Father, uh, man, we love, we love this. I think it's clear that this is, 
This is so great. These stories are, are epic. They are so simple, but so rich in wisdom and in knowledge and, and how we should live our lives, how we should spend our money. God, I pray that the shame and the guilt that people are feeling right now, like we don't talk about money that much. We don't ever like address it. I, f- I pray that their shame and that their guilt would melt away with the gospel. I pray that as we go into the Lord's table that they would feel that forgiveness, that they would feel that mercy and they wouldn't be saddled with those, with that, those burdens. I pray that people would see being generous not just as a, something that we have to do but something that could that could increase. That's something that could provide an incredible return in the future. Pray this in your great name. Amen. Why don't we get up and grab a, a cracker and some juice and let's, let's do communion together. I'll give you a minute to do that. I'm going to read from uh, Matthew 26, 26. And then we can partake of the elements together. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Let's take the cracker and let's remember the body that was broken to pay for our debts. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take the cup. Listen, let's take a couple minutes. Let's, let's think through the gospel. Let's think through our own, our own sin and how the gospel covers those debts, and then let's worship together.